A new economic forecast for the November general election has come out saying Donald Trump will lose in a landslide, pulling in only 33% of the popular vote. Joe Biden is going to have a historic victory. And why? Because the economy is terrible. And typically, political parties facing an economic crisis do not win. Now, of course, we're seeing many people, many news outlets prop this up saying, this is it. Donald Trump is going to lose. I don't buy it. Right now, 538 is once again asking, will this be a blue wave year? What? Hold on a second. Well, well, first, for those that aren't familiar, 538, the famous pollsters, they're kind of center left for the most part. But they asked us just over a week ago, about 10 days ago, are we going to see signs of a blue wave? If these two special elections turn out favorably for Democrats, we may see the Democratic advantage on paper prove they're going to win in November. But what happened? The Republicans crushed it, flipping a Democratic district red with a 21 point swing from Democrat to Republican. So why would they keep coming out with news saying Trump is going to lose? I honestly have no idea. I understand the economic forecast model. This makes sense to me. Donald Trump is going to lose if the economy is bad, but the economy isn't bad because uh, because of some mistake Trump made. The economy is bad because governors are locking down their economies and the people are protesting. In fact, there's a very high profile story right where I live, a gym refusing to stay closed and the government coming after them, even the governor. Right now, Donald Trump's approval rating on the economy is above water. It's around 51 or 52 percent. So how does it make sense? I think the problem we hear, uh, the problem we have here is that when it comes to some of these economic forecast models, they don't understand cultural issues or causation. They simply say, hey, when economies are bad, presidents lose. But maybe it's because when economies are bad in most circumstances, the president had something to do with it. And if right now we're looking at a president who got us three plus years of a booming economy, why would the American people doubt him now? At the same time, you have people in media ragging on Trump, blaming him for everything when it's the governors. I mean, the hotspot is New York and Andrew Cuomo is responsible for this. I understand outside of China, outside of China, Andrew Cuomo is responsible for this. Why is then the media writing puff pieces and propping him up? This is why I don't believe these stories. I do not. I, I believe Donald Trump is likely to win. Now, prediction models and betting models have it pretty close, pretty even. But I think what we're seeing here is an example of what I've been talking about over the past couple of weeks. 538 says we're going to see a blue wave. The evidence shows a coming red wave for the Republicans. And then sure enough, they write another story saying, wait, wait, no blue wave. I get it. Keep up, keep up the morale. But let's break this down. I want to go through their arguments. And hey, listen, I could be dead wrong. I'm just giving you my personal opinion. We're talking about economic forecast models, right? Well, I happen to think I'm going to be right on this one. Of course, I thought I was going to be right during the midterms, and boy, was I ever so wrong. So let's read this and try and give it a fair assessment. From CNN Business, Trump will lose in a landslide because the economy new election model predicts. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There are many ways you can give, but the best thing you can do, share this video. Because we'll have a real debate about this. I, I, I mean that uh, seriously. A lot of people are probably anti-Trump. A lot of people are pro-Trump. Let's take a look at what CNN has to say and some of these other sources. I'll give you my opinion. 
And then in the comments, you guys can discuss, do you think Donald Trump is really going to lose? Now, if you just want to watch, hit the subscribe button, the like button, the notification bell. Hopefully that'll be enough for YouTube to recommend the video to you. But let's read the news from CNN. They report, the economy has gone from President Donald Trump's greatest political asset to perhaps his biggest weakness. Unemployment is spiking at an unprecedented rate. Consumer spending is vanishing and GDP is collapsing. History shows that dreadful economic trends like these spell doom for sitting presidents seeking re-election. The coronavirus recession will cause Trump to suffer a historic defeat in November, a national election model released Wednesday by Oxford Economics predicted. The model, which uses unemployment, disposable income, and inflation to forecast election results, predicts that Trump will lose in a landslide, capturing just 35% of the popular vote. That's a sharp reversal from the model's pre-crisis prediction that Trump would win about 55% of the vote. And it would be the worst performance for an, inco- for an incumbent in a century. Quote, it would take nothing short of an economic miracle for pocketbooks to favor Trump, Oxford Economics wrote in the report, adding that the economy will be a nearly insurmountable obstacle for Trump come November. The model has correctly predicted the popular vote in every election since 1948, other than 1968-1976 although two candidates lost the popular vote, but won the presidency in that span, including George W. Bush in 2000 and Donald Trump in 2016. But as I stated earlier, I think they're missing the cultural context and they're missing the causation of the economic woes. Here's, here's what, look, if you think the American people are stupid and they wake up one day and say economy is bad, it's the president's fault. Okay, Trump will lose. I have a little bit more faith in the American people to a, to a, to a certain degree, to be honest. I think they wake up and say, I had the best year of my life last year. I want it back. Let me tell you a story. I went to a furniture shop. I was picking up some, uh, some supplies for this year, new setup we're doing in the new show. And the woman there told me that last year was the best year of her life in her career. I had someone coming out for landscaping. Same thing. Said, last year was incredible. The best year I've ever had in my life. And guess what? Me too. Last year, business was a booming. Things were going really, really well. And that was the Trump economy. The pandemic hit and it wasn't Donald Trump's fault. In fact, the shutdowns came from the governors, not the president. You want to criticize the president? Maybe we should, we should have shut down sooner. But I'll tell you what, right now, 300 small businesses in New York City are protesting, demanding the economy be reopened. That's not a Republican city. That is the Democrats stronghold protesting the Democratic mayor and governor for shutting down the economy. With that in mind, do you really think the American people are going to look to Joe Biden and say, the economy's bad, I'll vote for the Democrat? I think we're going to see in big cities, Democrats saying, no way. I mean, take a look at California's 25th. It was Republican until t- uh, up, up till the, the, the 2018 election. Katie Hill flipped it by nine points. It flipped back 21 points. The culture war is going to play a major role in this. And maybe this is why no one saw 2016 coming. Donald Trump won. Everyone said he wasn't going to win. They didn't understand the cultural context of what was happening to our society and what is happening now. CNN says Ohio and Missouri could flip to Democrats. Now, this is where I'll say Republicans, you best you best pay attention Donald Trump is relatively unpopular with a lot of people. His approval rating, for whatever reason, is underwater, though he's currently, according to Gallup, polling better than Obama did for the same time period, which does bode well for Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton was extremely unpopular, and they really underestimated just how much the average American hated her. 
Joe Biden doesn't have that same level of hate. Perhaps the reason they're propping up Joe Biden, a a mindless blank candidate, is because they don't want anyone to feel anything about him. Maybe they're hoping, you know what? We can get somebody who's divisive and has a lot of support, but a lot of hate, or we can get someone no one really cares about. That's why Biden might actually win. And if you think if you think it couldn't happen, that will be your downfall. Let's read. The national election model assumes that the economy is still in bad shape this fall, with unemployment above 13% per capita, uh, 13%. Real per capita incomes down nearly 6% from a year ago and a brief, and brief period of falling prices or deflation. The economy would still be in a worse state than at the depth of the Great Depression. A separate state-based election model run by Oxford Economics that incorporates local economic trends and gasoline prices predicts Trump will badly lose the Electoral College by a margin of 320 to 210. That model forecasts that seven battleground states will flip to Democrats, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Missouri, and North Carolina. We would expect these states to experience significant economic contractions and traumatic job losses that would likely swing pocketbook vote. Oxford Economics developed the state-based model last year, it would have correctly predicted Trump's upset Electoral College victory, as well as seven of the nine prior elections since 1980. What they're saying, and this is fair, they're taking into consideration all of the factors of 2016, looking at what they got wrong and making a new model. Sorry, I still don't buy it. I really, really don't. They go on to say, is it too early to predict the election? And that may be it. Look, New York is saying uh, all indications they're going to reopen in June. We'll see. We'll see. That might give enough time for people to see a massive boon in the stock market, jobs going, you know, uh, coming back magnificently, people getting their jobs back. But we are going to see permanent closures of small business. Now, is that Donald Trump's fault? It's not. So if the American people in big cities were planning on voting Democrat anyway, I don't see why people would change their vote. If people in swing states uh, that are run by Democratic governors who were shut down, lost their businesses, why would they blame the Republican Party for this? I'm sorry, I just don't see the argument. Unless, of course, you look at people like mindless drones. Sure. Well, take a look at this. The predicted models. I like to take a look at how people are are, are, uh, betting in terms of cash, because that's a good indicator. People don't want to lose money, right? It's not always the best indicator, but it's something to look at. Right now, Donald Trump is favored to win with a 49% chance of victory. And Joe Biden, or I I should say it's a 49 cents. And then we have uh, Joe Biden at uh, 46 cents. That's per share. It's it's complicated, but basically they're saying, I think that basically they believe Donald Trump, well, Donald Trump is favored to win. That's the easiest way to put it. But he is very, 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 very close with Joe Biden. Now take a look at this story from the Washington Post. This is the warning to Trump voters. Trump-Biden voters could decide the 2020 election. They bring up something interesting, that there is a group of people who are economically progressive, but socially conservative. I can, uh, I can understand this point of view. I remember back, you know, 10 or so years ago, it was, it was people were the, the, the outlier, the libertarian types. They were economically conservative and socially liberal, meaning they were much for civil rights, gay marriage, things like that. But they opposed the rampant socialist type spending policies. Now we're seeing an inversion of this because of the Democratic Party going too far left, in my opinion. These are people who are economically progressive, probably like the idea of a public option, maybe even leaning towards universal health care, but don't like the overt social justice breakdown of the family. They want traditional family values. These people don't want to vote for Donald Trump. These are not your traditional conservatives who feel this way. But let's take a look at what's actually happening in New York. 
because this, I think this is significant. You want to make an economic prediction about Donald Trump's voter base or what's going to happen? Fine. I'm actually of the mindset that cities will remarkably swing red. And there's a few reasons for this. Absolutely, I could be wrong on this one because I'm, I am, I'm going to be bold in this prediction. But take a look at the UK. The conservatives won a, a, a record-breaking victory. For those that aren't familiar, December 13th, quite some time ago, or a relatively long time, it's, you know, considering this year's been extremely long, you have the conservatives winning in areas that hadn't voted conservative in 100 years. Areas of big cities, my understanding, that were always lefty voted for the conservative party. And it was explained to me, like, imagine a district in New York voting Republican. You'd, you'd be shocked. I mean, New York City. Well, now we're seeing a Trump-loving Democrat, NY15, their 15th congressional district, is poised to win. We'll see if it plays out. But we did see for the first time in two decades, a blue district switch back to Republican. That was historic. Perhaps now we will see something similar happen in these big cities like we saw in the UK. Keep in mind, there have been a series of Democratic politicians in smaller local jurisdictions, notably in Pennsylvania, who have switched from Democrat to Republican. It keeps happening. Take a look at Jeff Van Drew of New Jersey's, I believe New Jersey second, who ran as a Democrat, won as a Democrat, and then switched to the, to the Republican Party over the impeachment fiasco. I think we are going to see a repeat of the UK here in the United States, much like, like we did with the Brexit vote. No one thought Brexit would win. The UK votes to leave the European Union. Boom, Brexit victory. Three years later, they voted for it again in massive numbers. So why would they now switch and not vote for Donald Trump? Why would the trend break? It's possible. The pandemic, nobody saw this coming. But it is Democratic governors who are shutting things down. Look at this story from the Daily Mail. 23,000 dead New Yorkers, and it's keeping up with the Cuomo's. Chuckling brothers are slammed for CNN nasal swab joke while governor keeps silent on reopening. I kid you not. The, Cu- the Cuomo brothers laughing over these tests, showing oversized novelty cotton swabs. This is what we get right now. And you think they will blame Trump? Trump has been the one calling them the fake news. And what do they give you on the TV? They laugh while your business suffers, while you're locked in your home, while your friends are losing their jobs, they're laughing with their joke prop cotton swabs. That's reasons to criticize Trump over his reaction to the coronavirus as well. But Trump wasn't the one who shut down your economy. That was Governor Cuomo. Of course, Trump was in favor of the lockdowns, 15 days to slow the spread. But we're two months on. And now Donald Trump, for the longest time, has been advocating for reopening. But we see the, the culture war resistance types on social media saying we must remain closed forever. I'm sorry, man. This is the front page of the New York Post. New York, the New York Post and New York City's lockdown. Now the Big Apple is dying. Do you think these urban liberal types are going to sit there and be like, it's Trump's fault this is happening? Some of them will, for sure. A lot of them are going to be run of the mill people saying like, nah, this is Cuomo's doing. He kept us locked down way too long. Ron DeSantis did a good job relative to New York. Florida's not that bad. South Dakota, Christy Nome did a good job. So they threw a parade. So why would this happen? It's entirely possible. But I bring you now to my favorite, my favorite thing here. Okay, we, we don't know what's going to happen. We really, really don't. In my opinion, Trump Republicans will win. I could be wrong. I could be biased. That's totally fair. But I, I, I have to question the media's incessant narrative the Democrats are going to win. Will 2020 be another blue wave election year? Writes 538. 
Good question. The only problem I have with it is that you said this on May 11th. Two special elections on Tuesday could hint at another blue wave. You said, you told us, if we see the Democrats do well, it will be a blue wave. I followed up that segment by asking, now that the Republicans have crushed and obliterated the Democratic Party in these districts, will they now write a story saying we have seen evidence of a red wave? No. Once again, they ignore what happened, the reality of what's happening in front of their eyes and write another story. Will it be a blue wave? It's like they have amnesia. Do these people not remember? Perhaps they have a memory of a goldfish or perhaps they're lying to us. Perhaps what they're trying to do is sway the electorate to vote for how they want, because it is true. When polls say so-and-so will win, so-and-so will lose, people vote for the winner. It swings their vote. It is a fact. So I don't trust the media. They're saying Trump's going to lose in a historic you know, landslide defeat. I don't buy it. I'm sorry. You told us that in 2016. Why should I trust you now? It's fair to point out the economy is bad. But come on, man. (laughs) They're not going to blame Trump for this. I bring you now to the nightmare reality that is the economic lockdown of the Democratic governors. I live in New Jersey. I am very, very close to Atlas Gym, where the, the, the police actually arrested a guy for working out. Take a look at this. She was selling items on Facebook Live police interrupt business owner. They shut her down. A small business owner who had to close her non-essential business says she has had several run-ins with police while she tried to make some money. The latest incident came while Catherine Hermes was conducting a shop from home style Facebook live video of her country home store in downtown Bernardsville. Hermes and a friend were inside the store, both not wearing masks, showing off the products to viewers who can purchase them online. Police showed up around 9 p.m. on Tuesday and they shut her down. Her store was closed in the video. The police come to the door and they say, ma'am, you got to shut down. You got to close. And she goes, we are closed. Can't you read the sign? She went on Facebook. She was selling things online. Hold on. Amazon sells things online and they do delivery. But the police came to her store. Sorry, man. I am not convinced what's happening right now has anything to do with the pandemic. I'm sorry. I can't tell you what it is, but I will tell you a lot of people believe that the Democratic governors of these states are trying to hurt the economy, hoping it'll stop Trump. That's a bit too conspiratorial for me. I think this Democratic governor is just completely inept. Conspiracies aside, what do you think is going to happen in blue New Jersey when these people are like, why are you doing this to us? Why are the police coming to my store when we're closed to shut me down? Why is Walmart seeing profits skyrocket allowed to stay open? Why is Amazon allowed to do these deliveries? And you think they'll blame Trump for this? Trump advocated for them, said liberate these states, and I'll show you the hard data. Let's play with the polls. The aggregate from Real Clear Politics, Trump approval rating on the economy, 51%. If the economy was going to be a factor in Donald Trump's defeat, perhaps it could be if people blamed him for it, which they don't. They don't blame him for it. So while you keep sending your cops to small businesses to shut them down, while the, while the Republican states are open, what do you think the Democratic voters are going to be thinking when they look to South Dakota and they say, this woman who runs this business, this is almost New York Metro, Burnsville is up North Jersey. This is, is, is a blue, a blue state. And you have this woman now who's trying to sell her wares online, the same as Amazon, and the cops shut her down. That is incredible. Meanwhile, she and everyone else can see what happened in Florida. Partial lockdown, did it right, kept people safe. Beaches opened up in Jacksonville, did better than New York. 
Christy Nome of South Dakota, they threw a parade for her. She refused to lock down the state. No, uh, no outbreak, minor outbreak, not one of the worst, not a hot spot. The people loved her for it. So what happens when you're a Democrat running a business in New York City? Uh, one of the 300 businesses that is demanding the city reopen. And you can see the Republican districts. And then Donald Trump comes along and says, we're going to save your business and we're going to bring back this great economy. They're going to say, please, please do it. Democrat strongholds. CNN covered the story. I believe it was in Minnesota. Always a blue district votes local, votes blue, votes Democrat, except for Donald Trump. According to Vox, Trump ran as a moderate. I think people can recognize what's happening. I think the average person is smarter than these, these Democrats would give them credit for. And I think it's very simple why the economic model will be wrong. It doesn't take into account perceptions, media, culture. It just looks at the hard number. So I'll reiterate my, 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 my opening assessment, and then I want to rag on 5.30 for just a little bit more. It's, it's when these other presidents were, were bringing about an economic crisis, it made sense that people blamed them for it. But the, the coronavirus is an act of nature. It's an act of God. So people are going to look at this and say, we need a leader who can pull us out of this natural disaster. Well, Donald Trump did see a big boom in his approval rating while he was doing press conferences. It did go down once they stopped covering his press conferences. Then we can see it spiked a little bit. It went down a little bit. But I'll tell you what, right now, Donald Trump's approval rating is teetering above where it was when he was first elected. It then dropped very, very much so. And he's been enjoying very high favorability, relatively high favorability. The New York Times says his base is bigger than ever. And the people know we had the Trump economy and it was great. Obama tried taking credit for it, I guess. So my prediction is that in the coming months, we're going to start seeing these economies reopen. The economic forecast model is going to be proven wrong in two ways. First, the possible way is that when, when the economy start reopening, particularly in the red states, the blue states that are lagging behind, we are going to see a lot of angry Democrats. Their businesses are being shuttered by this. They're going to start becoming much more conservative. I think people are going to see the damage. And you're going to have a choice between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Joe Biden, who stutters and stammers and doesn't know where he is, and Donald Trump, who says, we're going to, we're going to bring back jobs. We're going to you know, get your business up and running. And he's got the numbers to prove it. They are going to run ad after ad of Donald Trump saving the economy. And the ads are going to say things like, for three years, America enjoyed the most prosperous you know, nation with lowest unemployment, with a rising wages, with a record stock market until a crisis hit. No one saw it coming. Then you'll see Nancy Pelosi, you know, when she was like, come down and, and you know, celebrate in, in, in Chinatown, you're going to see uh, de Blasio saying, we're not going to shut down. And it's not going to be to blame the Democrats. It's going to say it's going to be to say that no one knew it was coming. And Donald Trump took quick action and the crisis hit. The governors locked down their states. Businesses were destroyed. And now Donald Trump is going to want to bring that back to you. He's got the track record for it. And Joe Biden doesn't. That's why I don't I don't trust these models. But to rag on 538 for the last time, this is the perfect example of what the media has been doing to us in 2014, 2015, 2016. They didn't see the culture war coming. They didn't understand how we all felt. They didn't understand how this would impact the, the, the political landscape. And they still don't. They have not learned a thing. May 11th, could these elections hint at a, hint at a blue wave? May 20th, will we see a blue wave? Look at your own assessments. I'm sorry. They have the memory of goldfish. 
and the critical thinking capacity of uh, goldfish as well. But I could be wrong. Okay, I was absolutely wrong. I thought there was going to be a red wave. I thought the Republicans were looking at even maybe a supermajority. But maybe it's because I'm ahead of the market. That's what I was told a long time ago by a, a journalist professor, that my techniques, my style, I'm often ahead of the market. Maybe that's fair. I, I often, uh, um, I'm reading the news, I'm making predictions, and maybe I'm, I'm looking too far ahead, too far ahead. So I'll wrap it up with this. The reason I was wrong in 2018 was because I thought Trump's base would come out. I thought cultural sentiments would play a role in the 2018 election, and I was wrong. The Trump voters didn't care for Republicans. And now we're seeing this reflected in segments by Tucker Carlson and other conservatives where they go after some of these uh, Republicans like Trey, Trey Gowdy and Lindsey Graham for doing nothing during the Russiagate scandal. And maybe then you understand why they lost in 2018, because it was about Trump. But these Republicans, these Trump supporters learned their lesson by the Democrats claiming these are you know, around 40 seats. It impeached Donald Trump. And now they know if they sit by and they don't come out, Trump will be removed. The Democrats will not stop. I think 2020 is going to be a, it, the, the economic models, the polls are going to be obliterated. First, 2016 was wrong. They tried to correct. I don't think they'll be right this time. But maybe I will be wrong. Maybe I will be wrong. And I'm open to it. Look, I'm just one dude who reads things on the internet, talks about how I feel. I, I think many of you may agree with my assessment. Maybe, maybe many of you feel the same way. And I'm sure there are many of you who disagree with my assessment and think I'm completely wrong. And that's it. It's just normal political discourse. I think they're wrong. They think I'm wrong. All that matters is the people who want to vote show up in November. If you hate Trump and you don't show up, you will lose. If you like Trump and you don't show up, you, you will lose. But more importantly, if you think you're guaranteed to win, either that you know Biden will win or Trump will, Trump will win and you sit on your hands, it's over. I didn't think I'd be, I'd be, you know, six, seven years ago, I never thought I'd be saying this. I think we may see record voter turnout, like a record breaking voter turnout. The Trump army showing up in droves to, to, to stamp that paper, to pull that lever, to smack that button and the anti-Trump resistance doing the same thing. But we'll see. There's a lot of reasons to suggest, in my opinion, what I see when I read the news, that Trump should win in a landslide, no matter what. I think the economy doesn't even matter at this point. We'll see. I got more segments coming up for you at 6 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast News. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. Where would we be without the hard-hitting journalism of CNN? I can only imagine how bad things in this country would really be. I mean, you, you could have a governor, say, instructing nursing homes to take in COVID patients, infecting other elderly, the most at-risk populations, and nothing would be done about it. That's why I'm so grateful we have CNN. Could you imagine if we didn't have real journalists? You'd have like these fake segments where instead of challenging the governor on, on risking lives and, and, and essentially being responsible for people getting sick and dying, instead of that, you'd have somebody holding up a giant prop cotton swab or something. Like, like whoever this guy is. What, what network is this where the guy holds up a giant? Fa- oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. That is CNN. Okay, all bit aside, I kid you not. You see, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, has failed by almost every single metric. And I'll be fair. I think China takes a lot of the responsibility for this. Chris, uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo, relatively incapable of handling the crisis. But if China had been honest about things, we probably wouldn't be here in the first place. But it is true that 
Andrew Cuomo did a relatively bad job for some reason. He enjoys puff pieces from the press. Could it be that he's being interviewed by his own brother? Take a look at your screen. For those that are listening, let me describe it to you. Chris Cuomo is holding a giant prop cotton swab. That's the hard hitting journalism we require, CNN. Great job. I remember like it was yesterday when Brian Stelter said, don't go to Fox News because it's spin. Ignore the spin. Basically saying you got to come to CNN for the facts. Oh, what's the fact that you put a a guy on TV holding up a giant prop cotton swab? Meanwhile, we have this story from NBC. Coronavirus spreads in a New York nursing home forced to take recovering patients. It's reckless and careless, said the grandmother of a 96 year old man whose family withdrew him from Long Island nursing home. Heavens, what is this all about? April 25th? You mean a month ago? This story was breaking. New York state mandate required nursing homes to accept those recovering from COVID, even if they're contagious. That is a scandal to break all scandals. How many people died because of Andrew Cuomo and his state orders? Well, thank thank the, the lucky stars that we can talk about giant prop cotton swabs where Andrew Cuomo gets a puff piece and no one actually challenges him or questions what's really going on. That's CNN for you. They've totally jumped the shark, man. And I know that I've ragged on them in the past. Many of us, we rag on them all the time. But uh, I I guess for the time being, I'm just going to go ahead and be the CNN review channel. I've done so many videos about CNN, to be honest. And I don't I, I, I don't like doing it. I'm very critical of CNN for only focusing on uh, on Fox News for the same reason. But Fox News is an opinion channel. All right. So here's the big difference. If you want to give me a play-by-play about CNN, uh, uh, I'm sorry, about Fox News, like what the media reporters at CNN do, where they're like, today Fox News talked about Obama. What are you doing? That's TV guy. I don't care. But right now we've got a bigger problem. Here's the real news. It's not, it's not so much about CNN, to be fair to myself. This is about Andrew Cuomo co- costing lie, Like, t- You know what, man? I want to be very careful how I phrase this. But when, you, when, when the state mandates that nursing homes take in sick people, I mean, this is a major major scandal. And what about Ron DeSantis? Where does Ron DeSantis go to get his apology? How is it that the media will laugh and giggle? Oh, Andrew Cuomo, you silly guy. Look at this big old cotton swab. And then Ron DeSantis of Florida, whose state's doing substantially better, is dragged over the coals. So, okay, I want to get to the story, all right, with Ron DeSantis. I want to contrast how CNN and other outlets treat Andrew Cuomo, who's failed by so many metrics. And then we'll talk about how Florida actually did a good job preserving civil liberties and actually having less of an outbreak with, with, with COVID. What did he do right? What did Cuomo do wrong? Well, let's first take a look at what CNN's talking about. From Newsbusters, Cuomo thumbs nose at accountability for governor brother plays with giant swabs. CNN has been flouting journalistic ethics for weeks as they allowed Chris Fredo Cuomo. I, I, I don't like the, 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 the name, the digs. Look, we can criticize Chris Cuomo for faking the quarantine, for lying to the American people and for doing prop comedy on what's supposed to be a serious news program. Those are all valid arguments. There's no there's no need to add insults. And I, I really do mean it. So I would prefer it if Newsbusters didn't play those games. It's an emotional dig. I explain this a lot, but I, I want to say it. When you see stories where they're like Fredo, they're trying to give their audience an emotional release like, haha, you get them. You know, it's 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 warrantless and it devalues the critique. So you don't need to do it. I don't need to call this guy any 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 name other than fake news journalist, fake journalist, not real journalist. Call him those things. Go after his legacy. Go after his career because this guy is a joke. You don't need to insult him. They say 
Chris Cuomo uh, interviewed his Democratic brother, uh, Andrew Cuomo, almost weekly. Things came to a disgusting head during Wednesday's edition of Cuomo Primetime when Chris thumbed his nose at bipartisan calls to investigate his brother's disastrous mishandling of the outbreak in his state. Instead, he pulled out oversized prop cotton swabs to mock how big his brother's nose was. It's a little funny. It is. Like, I got a sense of humor. He said he pulls out this giant cotton swab and says, is this the cotton swab they needed to test that double barreled shotgun you put on your face? Something like that. It's funny. But it's not news. I don't turn on CNN to, to hear comedy routines. And I'll be honest, I don't turn on the president either. I can recognize he did a funny bit, but my criticism is with the journalism industry. Andrew Cuomo is responsible for death. He is. Okay. Again, I think most of the blame goes to China for, for lying and misleading us. We, we know this for other countries have, have corroborated this. And it's, it, it would be unfair of me to say Cuomo deserves even the overwhelming majority of the blame because we as a nation were, were put into this position because of China's lies. Now, that being said, there's things you can criticize Trump for. I think he did some good things. There's a lot you can criticize Andrew Cuomo for. And let's read through this because I want to get to the Ron DeSantis part. Ron DeSantis of Florida, for those that don't know. Chris began the show by bashing President Trump. Please join me tonight, not spending any more time about this nonsense about the president refusing to acknowledge anything should have been done differently in the handling of the pandemic, he chided. Have you ever heard him take responsibility for any mistake? I love this. I criticized Trump. I said he could have been uh, faster. He could have been more serious, more stern. There are a lot of things that wasted our time at the beginning of this pandemic. But to act like Trump has done a worse job than Andrew Cuomo is laughable. As they were approaching the first commercial break, Chris drew attention to how his brother had a coronavirus test administered on him during his press conference earlier. Uh, The same press conference where he deflected blame for putting COVID patients in nursing homes to President Trump. Now a few questions about the process. Chris said, first of all, is it true that when you are having the test administered, you inhaled the doctor's finger, went all the way up your nose and got stuck and had to be released with a tool? Is that true? Just to deal with uh, just just to deal with the record? What? Now, that was a horribly delivered bad bit. I got to be honest. Then after comparing his brother's nose to a uh, uh, to that of a proboscis monkey, Chris proceeded to pull out prop cotton swabs that grew to ridiculous sizes that measured feet long pictured above. Okay, I enjoy some good prop comedy. I enjoy some good comedy bits. I do not turn on CNN primetime to see interviews with the governor of New York, who's responsible for death, so that you can make jokes about his nose and show prop comedy, do, do a prop comedy routine. If I want to, I'll put on Comedy Central. I'll go watch South Park or Family Guy. This is what we get. CNN is supposed to be a serious news network. Let me tell you. Let me tell you, CNN. You want to rag on Fox News? I'm fine with it. I really am. I think it's silly. That's the only thing you do. I certainly rag on many other networks. I ragged on MSNBC last night. So yeah, of course, I'll criticize New York Times, MSNBC, CNN, many other outlets that are running this line and putting up fake news. Now, Fox News is one channel. I understand they're the highest rated cable channel and they do have a lot of influence. But even though Fox News is the highest rated cable channel, getting, you know, three averaging like three million viewers, like in primetime, you combine all the other networks, you're getting tens of millions of viewers. But by, but by all means, you can criticize Fox News. All right. The problem is, what's the criticize about Fox News? They have bad opinions. I've criticized them in the past. The most I, you know, I come up with usually is they run dumb segments, usually in the mornings. It's not always bad. It's usually opinion stuff. So if Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram have bombastic opinions, I roll my eyes. I don't watch it. The same is true for Rachel Maddow, though I've heavily criticized Rachel Maddow for going full conspiracy theorist. Now they'll, they'll argue, yeah, but Hennedy's conspiracy theorist, blah, blah, blah. Now, hold on, hold on. 
It was not Fox News that went Russiagate for three years, okay? That was you guys. That was CNN and MSNBC. That's why I'm a bit more reticent to be like, what is Fox News talking about today? But I did. I did last year when they ran an anti-evolution segment. I thought it was ridiculous. I actually did. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was just over a year ago. So Fox News, what do we get? Opinion stuff. Um, opinions. That's really it. I mean, you know, what do you want me to say? CNN is doing prop comedy. Okay. Uh, uh, hold on, man. Hold, hold on a second. I understand. I rag on uh, uh, the, the CNN personalities for being Fox News Review Channel. Okay. I have done a ton of videos about CNN. Fair critique, except there is a difference here. Prop comedy. I don't know what else to say to this. It's not journalism. It is literally reality TV. I've been saying this. Jim Acosta argues with the president, that, that Caitlin woman argues with the president. They do bits, they do routines, and they're literally doing prop comedy now. All right, man. If you want to do live real-time comedy show like Jon Stewart, go, go for it, I guess. I, I, you, listen, they've been doing these routines with Chris Cuomo and his brother, Andrew Cuomo. Chris Cuomo faked the quarantine. He's not a journalist. He is a, a, he's now, I guess, a prop comic, not a good one. And a, Andrew Cuomo has this scandal. So what do we end up with? A media that drags the Republicans. You, you, you understand my bias, okay? It's, you know, people will say I'm, I'm objective or unbiased and all that stuff. Maybe that's true. And I, I think about this a lot. And I wonder if maybe the reason I really just am constantly pointing the finger at Democrats and the media is because that is the truth. Think about it. Andrew Cuomo is in the worst affected state, the hotspot, the epicenter of the world. Andrew Cuomo, his brother lives there. What do we get? Prop comedy on TV. The Democratic governor with an 80% approval rating propped up by the press, protected by his brother. And they just laugh. Ha ha, John Conswab. Ron DeSantis of Florida. Where does he go to get his apology? It is, it is, it is just a fact that the Republican-led states have fared better in many ways. That South Dakota was supposed to be this hotspot because they refused to lock down. It's not. That Florida was supposed to be. It's not. And Ron DeSantis said this. He said, they kept saying, oh, in two weeks. Oh, next week. Oh, here it comes. Eight weeks out. None of it happened. Let's read some of this. The National Review. The Florida governor explains a COVID-19 strategy that has gotten bad press and favorable results. A couple months ago, the media, almost as one, decided that Governor Ron DeSantis was a public menace who was going to get Floridians killed with his lax response to the coronavirus crisis. In an interview with the National Review, DeSantis says he was surprised at how knee-jerk the hostile coverage was. But he also knew that none of these people knew anything about Florida at all. So I didn't care what they were saying. The conventional wisdom has begun to change about Florida. As the disaster so widely predicted hasn't materialized, it's worth delving into the state's response. As described by DeSantis and a couple of uh, members of his team, because it is the opposite of the media narrative of a Trump-friendly governor disregarding the facts to pursue a reckless agenda. DeSantis and his team have followed the science closely from the beginning, which is why they forged a nuanced approach, but one that focused like a laser on the most vulnerable population, those in nursing homes. What did Andrew Cuomo do? Mandated a state mandate. I'll be careful how I phrase this, but there was a state mandate that people who are contagious be brought into nursing homes. An irony to the national coverage of the coronavirus crisis is that at the same time DeSantis was being made into a villain, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo was being elevated as a hero, even though the DeSantis approach to nursing homes was obviously superior to that of Cuomo. Florida went out of its way to get COVID-19 positive people out of nursing homes, while New York went out of its way to get them in, a policy now widely acknowledged to have been a debacle. Anyone with any 
sane with, with, with two brain cells to rub together could tell you, you put sick people in a nursing home, you get dead people. What is, what? you know what, man, when will they get tired of being wrong? This is what the scariest thing to me is the national media. They call me biased. And I wonder sometimes I do. It's like, I really do rag on them so often, but how often am I wrong? I'm wrong often to, to, to be sure. I issue corrections. I issue apologies. But I'm less wrong than they are. I wasn't wrong about Jesse Smollett or Covington or Russiagate. To be honest, I don't take hard stances. That makes it very easy not to be wrong. But is that the smarter approach? Instead of coming out and screaming, we knew it. We got him slapping the thing on the table. This is it. The walls are closing in on Trump. We say, all right, we'll see what happens. Calm down. Like the same thing with the, the Arbery case. I say, don't, don't, don't jump the gun. Don't rush to this one. And now we're seeing a very, very nuanced story there. So many people just want to claim they know. And that's my warning to all of you. You don't wait till you have the evidence. So it's, it's easy for me to say, you know, um, uh, I, it was Mike Cernovich tweeted this a while ago that, you know, I've never seen Tim Pool be wrong on any big major story. I have been like, but, but it, it's, it's within, uh, to, to be fair, like when I said in, in 2018, I think the Republicans are going to see a red wave. It's very different. My prediction on like political opinion in the country versus me falsely accusing someone of something. So that's fair to say. It's really easy not to be wrong when you don't try to be right before the evidence comes out. But look what we get from the national media. They want to be first. They want to be front and center. They want to get that opinion out. They want to know for sure before they've seen any proof of anything. And what we end up with is consistently wrong. We, we, we have, look, journalists are supposed to protect, protect the public. To, I'm not saying it's their sole duty. They're supposed to come out and tell us, here's what the government has done. And to the journalists who have published the stories exposing Cuomo, my, you know, uh, my respect, 100%. I mean, this story from NBC Susie Kim pointing out that, look at this, there's a state mandate to do this. I really appreciate that opening paragraph. That's journalism. I appreciate that. And that's what, what's, what's so awful about today's uh, media landscape is that I would say the bulk of journalists are real journalists. You don't know their names. You don't hear their names because they're sitting in an office and they're typing, you know, Andrew Cuomo did this, Chris Cuomo did that. What you get are the grifters. You know, I, I really don't like that word, but let's be honest. Chris, uh, uh, Chris Cuomo, he faked quarantine. And he's the prime time celebrity making millions of dollars. What a shame. You know, deserves to make a good salary. The journalists who are being honest and just reporting the news every day. And, and, and I, I apologize if they if, if my, my uh, um, broad rhetoric sometimes wraps them up in this because I rag on journalism a lot and these media industries a lot. But if you work for CNN, if you work for CNN and you say, well, I need the job, I'm going to stay then you do not deserve respect. And that's exactly why, you know, you're, you're part of the problem. NBC News has been hiring activists who lie and use the platform to push policies on, on companies like we saw with Google recently, the activist, you know, uh, writing a story and then cheering when Democrats intervene and, you know, doing virtual high fives with people like we did it. We got our we got our ideological policy pushed through because I made a stink about it. That's the problem. That's why I left these companies. So you, you know what, man? Maybe that's just me, my ethics, my principles. When I saw how bad it was getting, I said, I'm not going to work here anymore. I'm done. I would rather do nothing than contribute to this insanity. How many times can you be wrong? And what, at what point do they say, I'm tired of being wrong? Let's read a little bit more. The media didn't exactly have their eyes on the ball. The day that the media 
had their first big freak out about Florida was March 15th, DeSantis recalls, which was where, uh, which was there were people on Clearwater Beach and it was this big deal. That same day is when we signed in the executive order to uh, one, ban visitation in nursing homes and two, ban the reintroduction of a COVID positive patient into nursing homes. DeSantis is bemused by the obsession with Florida's beaches. When they opened in Jacksonville, it was a big national story, usually relayed with a dire tone. Jacksonville has almost no COVID activity outside of a nursing home context, he said. Their hospitalizations are down, ICU down, since the beaches opened a month ago, and yet nobody talks about it. It's just like, okay, we just move on to the next target. One of the most important made, uh, important points made about Jacksonville is there's no people sick there. And so they open the beaches and the journalists are like, oh no, what have they done? What have they done? Ain't, ain't nobody getting sick on the beaches. You have right now a story about Virginia Beach. Everyone flood uh, rushes to the beaches because they remained closed. And now you see the government lost control. Perhaps the smart thing to do would be to open with controls. It's what we often say, it's what liberals used to say about regulation of contraband, of, of controlled substances. You're better off legalizing these things with restrictions and controls so you can guide and control and make sure things don't fall apart. Otherwise, you end up with cartels. So instead, Virginia Beach says we will not reopen and people go to the beach anyway. And this time, and, and now because they're defying your orders, they don't care anymore. You get the opposite in Florida. They say, okay, okay, we'll reopen. But you try and do it right. Perhaps more understandably, the villages, the iconic senior community, was a focus of media worries. According to DeSantis, as of last weekend, there hadn't been a single resident of the villages in the hospital for COVID-19 for about a week. At one point, the infection rate in the villages was so low that state officials were worried that they were missing something. So I got the University of Florida to do a study, he said. They did 1,200 asymptomatic uh, seniors at the villages, and not one of them came back positive, which was really incredible. So how did DeSantis go, go about responding to the epidemic? It began with the data and trying to learn the lesson of other countries. You get the point. Where does he go for his apology? And why is the media still laughing and cheering and celebrating Cuomo? I'll tell you why, man. I have my biases. I do. Um, what, what, does it, what does it mean? Well, I'll, I'll typically have a reaction where I do not trust the Democratic establishment and the media. Why? Because of this picture you see on your screen. For those that are listening, it is Chris Cuomo laughing, holding an oversized novelty cotton swab while his brother laughs because CNN is in the bag for the Democrats, because the company that owns CNN donated to, you know, is one of the principal supporters of Hillary Clinton. It's because they have even said on the air that they did a lot to help Hillary Clinton. It's because the Democratic governor of New York, who many people think will be swapped out, potentially be a Democratic nominee or could be in the next cycle, is being protected by one of the largest news networks. I shouldn't even call it a news network anymore. So yes, perhaps I've developed a bias since then watching this happen. Or perhaps if you want an honest assessment of what's happening, I could say this. New York is the epicenter. By all accounts, you could blame China. But if we're looking internally at this country, we have two states, Florida maligned by the press, South Dakota maligned by the press. How have things gone in those states? Remarkably better than New York. What does the media say? Florida bad, South Dakota bad. New York, good. There are still journalists calling out New York. There are still publications now challenging New York City, ProPublica, for instance. And that's because there is real journalism. Bias as many of these people may be, they really don't like the president. It's fine. There are still journalists challenging Cuomo. But when it comes to the mainstream, high profile, multi-million dollar cable news stuff, you want to rag on Fox News, do it. Fine. I don't care. I'm a criticism of everybody all around. But this is what we can expect from CNN. Sorry, man. These, these mainstream, high-profile, 
journalists are, are, are performative reality TV shows. That's what it is. CNN on TV is not real news. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. My earlier segment talked about CNN devolving into prop comedy and how the media was praising Andrew Cuomo of New York while consistently smearing Ron DeSantis of Florida. There's also Christy Nome of South Dakota. The media has repeatedly bashed the Republican states that did everything right and prop up New York's Cuomo when this is the epicenter of the crisis in the world. Now we see this story from the New York Post, a very bold front page from the New York Post. End New York City's lockdown now. The Big Apple is dying. Its streets are empty. Tens of thousands have been plunged into poverty. Our leaders have no plans, no answers. New Yorkers have already learned to socially distance. Businesses can adjust. The elderly and infirm can continue to be isolated. It needs to end now. Spicy. That's the front page of the New York, New York Post. And the story opens by highlighting last Friday morning, some 3,500 New Yorkers lined up at a Catholic church in Queens to receive free food hours before it even opened. According to the NYPD, Catholic Charities has reported a 200% increase in demand over the past month and a half. We've seen the videos. We've seen the photos of thousands of people lining up at food banks desperate for food. New York businesses are collapsing. 100,000 plus businesses will never reopen again. Some estimates say maybe 40% of small businesses will never reopen again. We are already past that point. The other day I made a video talking about my dissatisfaction with the state I live in. I'm in New Jersey. I'm in South Jersey, the Philly area. The governor is saying we can't fully reopen to a new normal until there is a vaccine. I'm not going to wait a year and a half, two years. I'm going to relocate my business. And that's what we're looking at doing. I can't, uh, I, I can't tell people in New York what they should or shouldn't do. I don't live there. But I can tell you the sentiment in New York is boiling over. A lot of people seem to believe that the Democrats, these Democratic states are enforcing these lockdowns in an effort to prevent Trump from doing rallies to maybe hurt him. I don't I don't necessarily think so. I mean, maybe that's their intent. But I'll tell you this, man, this is going to shock the system and you will see people vote Republican faster than they've ever voted in their lives. Maybe maybe some people who've never voted before. Why? Look at this other story. Lockdown is literally bringing us to our knees. Coalition of 300 NYC small business owners signed petition to reopen as Cuomo and de Blasio keep city shut down into a 10th week and refuse to say say when it might end. Oh, they've extended it already. It's 15 days, slow the spread. Now your business was destroyed completely. These people are not happy. Do you think they're going to come out and now vote for the Democratic Party again? I don't think so. We've got we've got interesting stories popping up. Apparently, there's like a new Oxford study suggesting Trump will lose because of the economy. But do you think voters are going to blame the economy on Trump when Trump is saying open things up when these business owners in New York are saying we need to reopen? They're agreeing with Trump. I don't think these forecasts take into account the cultural issues that are happening around us. But I do want to read the story from The New York Post, give you their opinion, and then we'll talk about it. They write, By prolonging the coronavirus shutdown long after its core mission was accomplished, Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio have plunged tens of thousands of New Yorkers into poverty. It needs to end now. In mid-March, we were told we have to endure a lockdown to ensure that hospitals didn't get overrun. We did. The hospitals were not overwhelmed. We turned the Javits Center into a hospital. We didn't need it. 
We brought in a giant Navy ship to treat New Yorkers. We didn't need it. We were told we were moments away from running out of ventilators. We weren't. And now the United States has built so many, we are giving them away to other countries. That's all true. Meanwhile, the Big Apple is dying. Its streets are empty. The bars and jazz clubs, restaurants and coffee houses sit barren. Beloved haunts, storied dorms, storied rooms. Perfect slice joints are shuttered, many for good. The sweat equity of countless small business owners is evaporating. Instead of getting people back to work, providing for their families, our mayor talks about a fantasy land new deal for the post-coronavirus era. In fact, this is a little bit wrong. Many businesses have reopened in New York, and the mayor responded by threatening them because people wanted to go out. They wanted to drink. They wanted to celebrate. They wanted to hang out with their friends. They do not want to be locked in their homes indefinitely. So partly wrong. But yes, it's true. Many of these businesses will never reopen. New York City is, is in, in dire straits. Uh, another segment I talked about, Andrew Cuomo's worst fear. I say worst fear, I'm being hyperbolic, but one of his greatest fears has been realized. It was last year he said, God forbid if the rich leave because they had already been facing a budget deficit. They needed the wealthy citizens to pay higher taxes so that they would have the money they needed to run the city. The, the MTA, the metro system, uh, the subways in New York, falling apart com- in complete collapse. The Amazon deal was going to help that thanks to AOC. That's gone. Now, 420,000 of the wealthier citizens of New York have left. By some estimates, around 40% of the wealthy are gone. Many of them will probably come back. Many of them never will. They've left for good. They don't need to live there. They're people of means. They have money. They can get up and go wherever they want. It's the poor people who are stuck holding the bag in New York City. And many of these small business owners are not wealthy. Many of them make just enough to get by on a middle class median wage, median salary. They've been shut down. Meanwhile, the wealthy people with the buffers are doing just fine, hopping off to the Hamptons, to Connecticut, to Boston. They got nothing to worry about. They got money in the bank. Meanwhile, these businesses are on their knees begging. Let's read some more. Open the city. This is what they say. This is the New York Post, okay? (laughs) Open the city. All of it right now. Broadway shows, beaches, Yankees games, the schools, the top of the freaking Empire State Building, everything. New Yorkers have already learned to socially distance. Businesses can adjust. The elderly and infirm can continue to be isolated. And they show this photo of social distance circles in a park. For two months, we have waited for Cuomo and de Blasio to tell us how this ends. Where is ex-mayor Michael Bloomberg with his alleged army of tracers the governor told us was the key to reopening? And why did he hand that responsibility over to Bloomberg, whom nobody elected anyway? And why is the press ragging on Trump and DeSantis and Nome when New York is collapsing? That's I'm, 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 I'm adding that, by, by the way. They didn't write this. But they go on to say, what the hell is going on? Is anybody in charge of the situation or are we just left with the governor and his talking head brother arguing on CNN about which of the two Ma loves best? Who cares? Yes. And Chris Cuomo pulling up a prop, a, a novel, an oversized novelty cotton swab to mock his brother's nose. That's what you can expect. Bread and circuses. You live in a city that is in dire straits with thousands of people lining up at a, at a church, desperate for food, their businesses being shuttered, 300 businesses begging the city, the front page of one of the most prominent New York papers saying it needs to reopen. And what do you get? You get the clowns on TV throwing bread and giving you the circus. They don't want you to be upset, but they're not going to help you. They're going to distract you. 
They call what Donald Trump does a distraction. They're always distracting from the crisis in this country. But Trump is the president, not a governor, and the governors control what they do. Now, Trump has tried to claim he has absolute authority. He does not. He does not. Tenth Amendment. The states are the ones responsible for the lockdowns. And the Republican states seemingly have done fine. They've had their problems. But while the media just attacked relentlessly South Dakota, Florida, and other states, nothing bad happened. I mean, bad things happened for sure, but I mean, it's not as bad as they said it would be. Meanwhile, New York, New York is in shambles. We'll see how this turns out with the wealthy leaving, because that's what Cuomo was concerned about. They go on to say in late April, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp defied experts by opening his state. The Atlantic magazine, once a serious publication that should now come with a stick of stale bubblegum, accused him of engaging in human sacrifice. You want to guess what happened? Guess. Come on, take a guess. Instead of the predicted spike in deaths, the number of cases of coronavirus and associated deaths declined. We should always consider that we are led by idiots. As one of my friends likes to remind me, Cuomo and de Blasio have no plan. There is not a single question about when New York can get back to normal, to which they have a straight answer. Not one. They cash their taxpayer paycheck while uh, immiserating the rest of us. If our elected leaders won't save the world's greatest city from a slow death by economic strangulation, then the people of New York must do it themselves. Barbers, tailors, nail salons, reporting goods stores. This is the New York Post saying this. YouTube, I'm not saying this. This is bold. Movie theaters and others should open their doors while maintaining social distancing, of course, and dare the state to shut them down. Wow. I, I in no way advocate for uh, com- like everyone rushing out and doing these. I absolutely advocate for the governors to back down, for the police officers to stop pushing unconstitutional decree. It's not the law. I absolutely am in favor of the state legislatures in various states shutting down these governors like in Wisconsin. This, it's a bit much, but what can I say, man? I have my opinion. I have a line, but some people, they go further. If the New York Post wants to assert this, we're talking about one of the most prominent newspapers in the country making this statement. You want to talk about mainstream? This is mainstream. Like it, you love it, or lo- love it or hate it. They say our politicians serve by our consent. We don't run our businesses or lives uh, or, lo- or live our lives by their consent. The suggestion to the contrary is an affront to Americanism. It's been a long time since this country, let alone this city, really had to deal with the prospect of mass starvation. This isn't about the stock market. It's about parents putting their kids to bed hungry and hoping tomorrow there will be something for them to eat if they get up at 4 th- uh, 4.30 a.m. and get in line at a food bank. We did what we were asked. We flattened the freaking curve. There is no longer any reasonable justification for the government to deprive us of our livelihoods. And our rights aren't the government's to grant or take away. They belong to us. The free grant of nature, uh, the free grant of nature and the God of nature. We're Americans. We're more than that. New Yorkers. A very, very angry, angry op-ed. And this is written by uh, David Marcus for the New York Post. Front page story. Maybe uh, people don't agree. I think they do. I think they do because we see stories like this. 300 small business owners have signed a petition. Here's what the Daily Mail reports. A coalition of 300 small New York City businesses are demanding the city be reopened as it nears its 10th week of lockdown. The coalition called Reopen NY announced their campaign at a press conference where they said they were being played by the government for not being allowed to do business while retail giants like Home Depot and Target are because they have been deemed essential. Boom. There it is. This is what you are getting. 
You want to look, uh, apparently some Oxford study came out. Maybe I'll do a segment on it later, claiming that Donald Trump is going to lose because no president wins in an, econ- in an economic crisis. But what about a manufactured crisis manufactured by mayors like de Blasio, governors like Cuomo uh, and, and Whitmer, not by Donald Trump, who's advocated for a reopening of the economy. So sure, maybe the American people are mindless drones. Maybe they just vote based on do I have money or don't or, or, or don't I? Or maybe they understand what caused the problem in the first place. We all agreed we're going to lock things down. And now many people are saying, okay, it's been two and a half months. Do we get to reopen yet? Donald Trump says yes. Cuomo says no. DeSantis says yes. De Blasio says no. So we can see which political faction is encouraging this. Now, look, I'm not telling you that every single person wants things to reopen. I'm telling you that there are a large group of people who live in urban centers who are defying their Democratic politicians, people they probably voted for. Here's what they, uh, they, they go on to say. They are the first to publicly put pressure on Mayor de Blasio and Governor Cuomo to reopen after patiently watching the infection and death numbers decline for weeks while bleeding money from their businesses. Others had been hesitant to call for reopening, but with no end date in sight to the current closures. And while other states are more uh, are with more concerning figures, get back to work without causing a spike. Many in New York City are now saying enough is enough. More than 16,000 have died and there have been more than 191,000 cases in New York City. It was the epicenter of the epicenter with 800 people dying every day. It's worst. But now fewer than 100 people are being admitted to hospitals on a daily basis. There is a good counterpoint to that. However, the reason the number has gone down could be it could be argued is because of the lockdown. However, at this point, I think uh, and, and, and you, I'm going to say I'm going to say it straight up. This is a bannable offense. My understanding is YouTube. YouTube actually says you can't say this stuff. But I'm going to tell you, the studies have shown that the lockdown may have been bad. And how about the fact that the states that didn't lock down are doing better than New York City? Perhaps the lockdown was the wrong thing to do. Social distancing was right. And maybe at this point, sunlight really is the best disinfectant. The science says so. But hey, hey, don't take it from me, man. Take it from the New York Post. Take it from the Daily Mail. These are these are mainstream, very well-known publications. Of course, they're considered to be more right-leaning, heavily criticized as being tabloids. But there are people who are protesting. There's a photo of them right here. It's not made up. Here's the photo. It says the Reopen NY Coalition announced their campaign on Wednesday afternoon at a press conference. More than 300 businesses signed the coalition demanding to be allowed to reopen on May 28th. Are we being played? Are we fighting a pandemic or are we just being used as pawns by our politicians? Why is there a double standard? If Home Depot can sell flooring, why can't a small business sell flooring? If Target can sell clothing, why can't we? Yeah, why can't we? It makes no sense. It makes no sense that a massive big box store, that a massive corporate chain, Walmart, Target are essential. Why? because they sell food. Is that it? That's that. That's what I've been saying. Make sure that if you run a business retail, you get a license to sell some food. You get one little rack, you put some can, cans of baked beans. They're, they're good for a couple of years. And then no matter what happens, well, we're essential. We sell baked beans. Is that all you need? So the small businesses that want to provide for their communities have been shuttered and many of them permanently. And the people are getting fed up with it. The city has low enough infection and death rates but is being kept shut because, according to officials, it needs another 3% of its hospital beds to come free, 4% of its ICU beds. And the city needs to hire more contact tracers. As of Wednesday, more than 1,000 had been onboarded, city officials told DailyMail.com. But they refused to specify how many more were, were, were needed. 
They gave a tentative goal date of June 1st. Okay, okay. You know what? I think we get the point in this one. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the end of NYC. I don't think it's you know the complete and total end. There will be a resurgence, but if forty percent of businesses are expected to be shuttered permanently, what does that say for New York and all its bodegas and cafes, all of its small restaurants that have that have now been closed for two and a half months, whose food has mostly spoiled? They've thrown it all out. Now, of course, many of these shops are doing delivery, but how many of them have actually been able to maintain? you know, a delivery. How many of them have, have closed permanently? The numbers I've seen have recommend, uh, have suggested maybe 40%. So in a, in a city like New York, uh, in New York, New York City, it may be, you know, I live there. You walk down a street and you will see tiny restaurants, many, many, many of them. One place, you know, I, I used to go to B&H a lot over on 32nd, and I think it's on maybe 8th or something in, in Manhattan. It's a, it's a camera shop. And there's a Thai food place. There's an Indian food place. There's an excellent chicken wing place. And they're very, very small. They're not big chains. You walk in, you can barely sit down. You're squeezed in there and you get your meal. New York, man, people are stacked on top of each other. But I can only imagine that many of these businesses, some of them have their phones ringing off the hook. Many of them probably just shut down. Many of their employees probably couldn't come to work, didn't want to come to work, were scared about getting sick. Many of them didn't have the business they needed to stay open. I ordered delivery recently. So I'm in South Jersey. I'm not in New York. I ordered delivery, de- delivery recently. I got a flyer in the mail. It was a pizza shop. And I said, you know, we've been locked up. We haven't been able to go out, hang out or anything. So let's order food. And I did. And when I called the company, it's kind of sad. They, 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 it was almost begging me to order more. And I, and I did. I ordered as much as I could. I didn't want to be wasteful. But I was just like, we're going to get a couple pizzas. But, but are, are, are you sure? We, we've got a lot more things. We, you, we've got these things. And I know upselling usually happens. But I ordered a couple things and it was almost begging. It was, it, it was almost like, please order more. And so I ended up ordering this ridiculously massive order because are you sure? We, 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 look, we've got all this stuff. And I think it, it, it's because it's going to spoil. They know they're going to lose it. They knew that they had all this stuff. They had these jalapeno poppers and, 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 you know, and, and cheese sticks and pizza and, and all, all the sides, all the wings, the mushrooms, zucchinis, whatever, onion rings. It's all going to go in the trash. So the best thing they could do is just be like, well, well we, we can give you a deal. We can, we can get you more. Oh, it's a big package. I kind of felt kind of bad. I wonder what's going on in New York. I know uh, I did talk to one restaurant. This was back when I was in, L- in LA. They said their phone wouldn't stop ringing off the hook. That people were like, we want food. We want it now. And it w- they were swamped. I think when it comes to what we're going to see with a lot of these businesses, the internet is going to have a profound effect on the success of some small businesses when it comes to food delivery and, when it com- and, and, and will also contribute to their, their destruction. Now, I just gave you a story about food delivery, but let's be real. Some of these small businesses are just skate shops. They sell clothing. They sell hats. Some of them might sell specialized tools. They don't do delivery. They can't do curbside pickup on a lot of these things. Many of them are gone for good. You go to Target, you go to Walmart, what do you get? Got all your tools, got all your clothes, got all your food, got your TVs, got your video games, and they're open and their profits are a booming. Walmart, 74% up. New York, is my understanding, is mostly small business. I think this is going to, it's going to be the transformation that we'll see in our country coming out of this and the other side of the coronavirus pandemic will shock you. I think there's going to be a lot of smaller businesses in more rural areas that are flourishing. Amazon is going to be bigger, more power to the corporations. New York will be crippled for a long time. I think this might result in an exodus from New York City. 
There's also potential for an inversion that there's going to be, you know, with the demand dropping, you'll find a bunch of businesses closed. Then the landlords who own those buildings are going to say, we'll rent it out for whatever. The rent costs might start dropping because the businesses have been destroyed and it might slowly start recovering. New businesses might emerge, but it's not fair to those. And the, the blood, sweat and tears they put into those businesses, they're gone now. And, you know, I, I get it. It's the, it's the virus's fault for the most part. But again, I, I defer to Florida. I look at Ron DeSantis, the success they've had. I look at South Dakota. I understand they're not New York City, but I wonder what New York City did wrong that destroyed, uh, uh, New York State did wrong that destroyed the city. Well, I hope these people can, can figure things out. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. at, at timcast.net. Check it out. It's my main channel. Many of you may be familiar with it, but go to timcast.net. You'll see it, and I'll see you there at 4. See, the conspiracy theories just don't get it. They post videos claiming that they're satanic death cults and that these evil Democrat interdimensional lizard people are eating babies, thinking that would be enough to wake up these, these lefty liberal types who keep voting for these people. Listen, why won't you listen, they say. But what they don't realize is that the lefty liberal types wouldn't care even if it were true. And I'm not making this up. The nation columnist defends Joe Biden from Tara Reid. I would vote for Joe Biden if he boiled babies and ate them. Okay, <laughs> there you go. So now you can stop all the crazy conspiracy videos because they don't matter, right? They're, they're, they're flat out telling you they'll vote for him no matter what. I got the actual column pulled up. I got some responses. Let's, 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 let's read. The Daily Caller says, a columnist for the nation defended 2020 presidential candidate Joe Biden from allegations of assault by his former Senate staffer Tara Reid by saying, I would vote for Joe Biden if he boiled babies and ate them. Columnist Katha Pollitt would vote for Joe Biden even if she believed Reid's allegations. She wrote in her Wednesday column, fortunately, I don't have to sacrifice morality to political necessity, she wrote. Reid accused Biden, this we understand. The Nation writer listed several examples of horrible things that the former vice president could do that would not prevent her from voting for him uh, and voting for, uh, from voting for him and voting for, uh, for President Donald Trump, including eating boiled babies. I don't know what they're trying to say there. I would vote for Joe Biden if he ate boiled babies. And we get it. He wasn't my candidate, but taking back the White House is that important. Four more years of Trump will replace what remains of our democracy with unchecked rule by kleptocrats, fascists, religious fanatics, gun nuts, and know-nothings. Excuse me? I think uh, uh, that same criticism could be pointed in your direction. The nation columnist who has written for the publication since 1980 told the Daily Caller Foundation that some people didn't like my dark humor and comic exaggeration regarding the boiled babies comment. Biden has previously said that voters would, should choose between voting for him and believing Reid's allegations. Quote, well, I think they should vote their heart. And if they believe Tara Reid, they probably shouldn't vote for me, Biden said on MSNBC. I wouldn't vote for me if I believed Tara Reid. A lot of people believe Tara Reid. A lot of these people wrote columns saying they did. And, you, and they said they would still vote for you. It's funny, the New York Times opinion piece that it, they basically said, I believe Tara Reid. I'm sorry, but I have to vote for Joe Biden. Well, there you go, Joe. You should have just taken the win. That's why I don't think Joe Biden's going to win. Pollitt asked about these comments from Biden posed, uh, Pollitt asked about these comments from Biden, posed the following question to the DCNF. Will Trump say the same about the 25 women who accused him? Whether or not you believe Tara Reid, and I'm betting the case for believing her is going to get weaker rather than stronger as the weeks go by. I actually agree with that. You should vote for Joe Biden if he is the nominee, Pollitt wrote uh, for a column. 
Uh, she, what, what is this? Uh, she wrote for a column offering the example of black Virginians who stuck by Democratic Virginia Gov. Ralph Northam despite his blackface scandal. Okay. Wow. Were they hypocrites? I doubt that was the only time Americans have had to swallow their pride and support a politician who, whatever his faults, served their interests. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on. You're telling me that if you knew the president, and I get it, she was joking about boiling babies, but if you knew the president was assaulting women, you'd vote for him anyway. I just wouldn't vote for him. So this is where we're at. She says Donald Trump has 25 women accusing him and you know Joe Biden has his accuser, but she doesn't care. She'll vote for Joe Biden because he's more important. All right, all right. I wouldn't. I would vote for neither if I believed it, because that's the point of voting. You're not compelled to vote for one of two parties. You don't have to go and be like, well, I guess I got to vote for this guy. No, you go, you vote for vote for yourself. Oh, but then you say, but you won't win. Okay, well, then why would I want Joe Biden to win if I believed he did this to that woman? Why would I want Trump to win? I wouldn't want either of them to win. So I'll vote for the third party. Whether or not you feel it in your bones that Tara Reid is telling the truth, the evidence is just not there, she finishes. We do not have the luxury of sitting out the election to feel morally pure or send a message about assault and believe women that will not help women at all or anyone else. The nation, the Biden campaign and Reid's legal representation did not immediately respond to request for a comment. Well, I have a comment from Crystal Ball. Now, uh, for those that are not familiar, she hosts a show on the hills rising with Cigar and Jetty. I'm probably pronouncing everyone's names wrong, so I apologize. But the show is really, really good. And I saw this tweet from her where she addresses it. And Crystal is, um, as my understanding, a progressive. So I thought it was interesting to see her uh, present this criticism. She said, uh, first, she quoted the image, I would vote for Joe Biden if he boiled babies. This is deranged. A writer for the nation says she would vote for Joe Biden even if he ate boiled babies. This is what many in the Democratic Party have collapsed to in the Trump era. A willingness to abandon all principle and justify literally anything if it will hurt Trump. Now, I understand it's, a, it's a, an, an attempt at humor and exaggeration. Unfortunately for this writer, there have also been, there have been comments from, from women who have said, if Joe Biden pulled out a gun and shot someone in Fifth Avenue, I'd still vote for him, a reference to Trump. There are women who have straight up said that even if Joe Biden held them down and assaulted them, they would still vote for him. That is insane. 100% insane. You want to talk about Trump derangement syndrome. I'll tell you what. First and foremost, Trump derangement syndrome is thinking you could make a joke about your candidate eating boiled babies and then be like, but it was just an exaggeration. Okay, first of all, over the line and weird enough it is. I understand you're making a joke and exaggerating, but then people are going to believe it because of the the, the escalation in what these women have been saying about what they would do. They would crawl over glass. That's a common one. But now they're actually saying like, there was one woman I will not name. She went, she told a story in the nineties. I was, you know, a democratic, you know, uh, a politician locked me in a room and, and, and basically tells, tells a story of an assault. And it's horrifying. And then she says, I would vote for him a thousand times over Trump. What? Trump has never done these things to you. What has Trump done to you? It's it, nothing. Seriously, nothing. I understand you can argue about his politics and his rhetoric, but what on this level? That's that's truly insane to me. And you see the rage and anger pointed at like Ivanka Trump. And that's the weird thing. And Melania. I'm like, what did these people ever do to you? Calm down. Like Melania doesn't ever, she, she barely says words. She just minds her own business. She does things with kids like literacy programs or something. What did Ivanka do? She's actually kind of progressive in a lot of issues. This is to me, these people have lost their minds. Crystal goes on. It should be obvious that this is a deeply dangerous type of politics, which is morally repugnant. 
also unclear that it's even a political winner as the Russiagate obsession and willingness to endlessly fan the wildest conspiracies should confirm. Years were wasted on a failed critique. Democrats used to have contempt for what they viewed as stupid MAGA cultists who would vote for Trump even if he shot someone on Fifth Avenue. Now they have become what they hated. Absolutely. Recently, James Woods tweeted out a clip from Jon Stewart, a clip that I have referenced several, several times. Jon Stewart's segment called The Audacity of Grope. In it, he shows video of Joe Biden creepily whispering into little girls' ears and groping them and touching them. And Jon Stewart, while showing this video, and and it's the little girl with Joe Biden whispering in his ear, Jon Stewart says, what could you possibly be saying to her? And then he whispers something dark and creepy. Come with me, my child. Like something. It's, and John Stewart making fun of Democrats. And then you have Samantha Bee. And she's got markings on her chest. And she, the, the gag was that she had just left a Joe Biden event. And she said that he was eating strawberry jam with his bare hands while writing on a chalkboard. And it was chalk and jam on her chest. And then she said, shortly after Joe Biden finished a bag of Cheetos and then changed the oil on his motorcycle, uh, you know, to, to leave, I waved goodbye. And then she turns around and sure enough, she has handprints on her backside as well. That was the Daily Show willing to make fun of everybody. Now, they often did make fun of Fox News, but, but it makes me wonder about what used to be. And something happened in the culture war. Maybe, maybe it's one of the reasons Jon Stewart retired because he saw that it wasn't working anymore, that this kind of politics was emerging where people would think they, they literally could eat boiled babies. Okay, I, I get it. It's a joke. I get it. I get it. But Jon Stewart was willing to, uh, to, to make fun of both sides. And now we don't have that. Now it's one or the other. But what we really get with the left is, you know, and, and the nation, they're not actually writing about their opinions. They're not writing any arguments as to why you should actually do something. They're writing shock content. Okay, what does it mean when you come out and say Trump's a kleptocrat, fascist, religious fanatic? It doesn't mean anything to me. You, tell me something Trump has done. You want to say he's a kleptocrat. Donald Trump, uh, uh, the, the Air Force, I believe, stayed at one of Trump's resorts. And that's an accusation against Trump about the emoluments clause. He's profiting his private businesses. Okay, they don't, they don't even say that. Kleptocrat. Because the thing I even brought up could be argued that it was actually saving the government money, in which case Trump wasn't making money off it. The point is, I see this all the time from the resistance types. They make insane comments. They are exactly what they claim the other side is. And they, uh, they don't actually offer up a real critique. They just tweet things like, you're dumb, you're ridiculous. Or that, that you know, Biden could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. It, it's, it's exactly what they said Trump was. And they do. It's emulation. It's projection. Now, I, I think Trump is worthy of criticism for, you know, sort of expanding this kind of political rhetoric. But he's a symptom of it, not the cause. And now later, now, now it's, it's several years on. And the Democrats and the media have just said we abandon all principle and ethics. I mean, they already were. I guess to be fair, the, it's the, the cause of this stems back to probably technology, social media, the Internet and things like that. And uh, the, the opportunity of business competition is what it devolves into. Trump didn't create it, and the Democrats didn't create it either. The Democrats and the media are just reacting to what the internet has created. You end up with the culture war. And then Donald Trump is just the champion of those who are tired of the media's, media's lies, who says things that makes people like it. So I'll tell you what, what you see here about Joe Biden eating babies. Listen, when I criticize Trump for his attitude, I have no problem criticizing them in the exact same way. 
But I, I guess most of our political landscape now is people who like Trump, you know, insulting and people who like Joe Biden being nuts or whatever. I don't know, man. But hey, if that's what you want, you go ahead and vote your, to your heart's content. I'll leave it there. I wouldn't vote for either of them, but stick around. I got a couple more segments coming up in a few minutes and I will see you all shortly. For some reason, Democratic governors and mayors are adamant on keeping the lockdown going in spite of the science proving that we need to make serious changes in spite of the UN warning us of starvation. And for some reason, YouTube has been censoring and deleting videos from people who present that science. Don't ask me why, but it is very creepy. Well, now we have this story. Doctors raise alarm about health effects of continued coronavirus shutdown, mass casualty incident. More than 600 doctors signed onto a letter sent to President Trump Tuesday, pushing him to end the national shutdown aimed at slowing the spread of the coronavirus, calling the widespread state orders keeping businesses closed and kids home from school a mass casualty incident with exponentially growing health consequences. What more do we need? I risk getting deleted every single time I talk about this, every single time. There was a doctor recently, and it was a calm and rational discourse between a doctor and, and, and a host. And this was very mainstream. It was tempered. It was reasonable. And they said, we need to very, very much similar to what I say. YouTube deleted the video. And then they said something about harmful content. If we can't even have doctors, this guy was like a high ranking World Health Organization advisor, mind you. If we can't even have these doctors on YouTube, what's really happening? I'm telling you this now. I do not believe at this point that Democrats are keeping the lockdowns going because of the virus. Uh, let me clarify that. What I mean is, I think it's, it's, it's not about the science about what we need to do. It's about their fear that if they open things up and things get bad, they'll be blamed for it. So the best course of action is just to be heavy handed and, and use all the power at their disposal to not allow a reopening so that no one can ever blame them. Then finally, when they're forced to reopen, they can say, oh, I'm being forced to reopen. Oh, no. And if things get bad, then it's not on them. But I'll show you something crazy. We'll come back to the story about the doctors. This is why I'm leaving New Jersey. I, I, uh, I'm in South Jersey in the Philly area. I've talked about this quite a bit in the past couple of days, but I'm going to relocate my business. Police interrupt business owner as she was selling items on Facebook Live. Her business was shuttered. She couldn't sell anything to anyone. She has since announced that she will be permanently closing. She was online streaming the products in her store and people could order online. And the police came and said, no, we are shutting you down. What does that have to do with the pandemic? I would like some, some serious, nothing. They, the cops come to the door and they said, ma'am, you have, you have to close. And she goes, we are closed. Can't you read the sign? And he was like, no, you're, you're online. And Amazon is online. Why did they shut her down? I can't tell you, man, but it is, it is highly, highly suspect. Back over the doctor's story, they say this. The letter outlines a variety of consequences the doctors have observed resulting from the coronavirus shutdowns, including patients missing routine checkups that could detect things like heart problems or cancer, increases in the substance and alcohol abuse, and increases in financial instability that could lead to poverty and financial uncertainty, which is closely linked to poor health. Quote, we are alarmed at what appears to be the lack of consideration for the future health of our patients, the doctors say in their letter. The downstream health effects are being massively underestimated and underreported. This is an order, of, uh, an order of magnitude error. The letter continues. The millions of casualties of a continued shutdown will be, a, will be hiding in plain sight, but they will be called alcoholism, homelessness, suicide, heart attack, stroke, or kidney failure. 
In youths, it will be called financial instability, unemployment, despair, drug addiction, unplanned pregnancies, poverty, and abuse. Because the harm is diffuse, there are those who would hold that it doesn't, does not exist. We, the undersigned, know otherwise. Not that long ago, two doctors came out and said basically the same thing. YouTube deleted the video. The, the, the people have spoken. In Virginia, in New York, they're defying these orders. Why are, the, why are these businesses being forced to remain closed? Why is it that the do, these doctors are now coming out and saying this, yet de Blasio, Cuomo, and other governors still say no? They don't want to reopen. The letter comes to the battle over when and how to lift coronavirus restrictions continues to rage on cable television, in the courts, in protests, and among government officials. Those for lifting the restrictions have warned about the economic consequences of keeping the shutdowns in effect. Those advocating a more cautious approach say that having more people out and about will will necessarily end with more people becoming infected, causing what National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease expert Fauci warned in a Senate hearing last week would be preventable suffering and death. Except we don't see that in South Dakota or Florida. We don't see that in many other states. So perhaps Fauci is wrong. He was wrong before. He could be wrong again. And that's a bannable offense. But Fauci's in a video that went viral where he said, don't wear masks. Now he's saying, wear masks. Look, I get it, man. I'll take his advice for sure. I think we all should. But I also think we need to recognize there are other doctors that are speaking up. 600 or so who signed this letter. But these doctors point to others that are suffering, not from the economy or the virus, but simply from not being able to leave home. The doctor's letter lists a handful of patients by their, their initials and details their experience. Patient ES is a mother with two children whose office job was reduced to part-time and whose husband was furloughed. The father is drinking more. The mother is depressed and not managing her diabetes well, and the children are barely doing any schoolwork. Patient AF has chronic but previously stable health conditions. Her elective hip replacement was delayed, which caused her to become nearly sedentary, resulting in a pulmonary embolism in April. Dr. Mark McDonald, a psychiatrist noted in a conversation with Fox News that a 31-year-old patient of his with a history of depression who was attending school to get a master's degree in psychology died about two weeks ago from a fentanyl overdose. He blames the government-imposed shutdown. She had to stay in her apartment, essentially in house arrest, as most people here in Los Angeles were for weeks and weeks. She could not see her therapist. She could not speak to the therapist over the phone, but she, uh, she could speak to the therapist over the phone, but she couldn't see her in person. She could not attend any of her group meetings, which were helping her to maintain her abstinence from opiates, and she relapsed into depression. She was just too withdrawn to ask for help. McDonald continued before noting that due to regulations, only six people could be at her funeral. She was simply trying to escape from her pain. I do blame these actions by the government for her death. I got to say to these doctors, I'm sorry. Donald Trump doesn't have the power to force these governments to reopen. He doesn't. The states have the power. But who do they write to? The individual governors who won't listen, who refuse? Fox News asked McDonald, as well as three other doctors who were involved with the letter, if they thought the indirect effects of the shutdowns outweighed the likely direct consequences of lifting them. The preventable, preventable suffering and death Fauci referred to in last week's Senate hearing. All four said they believe they do. Quote, the very initial argument, which sounded reasonable three months ago, is that in order to limit the, overwhelm, the overwhelmed patient flux into hospitals, that would prevent adequate care, we needed to spread out the infections and thus the deaths in specific locales that could become hotspots, particularly New York City. It was a valid argument at the beginning based on the models that were given. What we've seen now 
over the last three months is that no city, none, zero outside of New York has even been significantly stressed. McDonald's is referring to the misconception that business closures and stay home orders aimed at flattening the curve are meant to reduce the total number of, pe- total number of people who will fall ill because of the coronavirus. Rather, these curve flattening measures are meant to la- meant largely to reduce the number of people who are sick at any given time, thus avoiding a surge in cases that overwhelms the healthcare system and causes otherwise preventable deaths because not all patients are able to access life-saving critical care. And now patients are not able to access life-saving critical care because of the closures, no less. McDonald's said that hospitals are not only, uh, not only not overwhelmed, they're actually being shut down. He noted that at one hospital in Los Angeles area where Dr. Simone uh, Gold, the head organizer of the letter works, the technicians in the ER have been cut by 50%. We've already seen stories over a million healthcare workers have been laid off or furloughed. So what is happening? Why are the cops going to a small business selling things online when Amazon is selling things online? Amazon's got videos of their products. Amazon sends out deliveries. Why shut down the small business? I seriously would like real answers. Quote, when you look at the data, uh, when you look at the data of the deaths and the critically ill, they are patients who are very sick to begin with. There's always exceptions. But when you look at the pure numbers, it's overwhelmingly patients who are in nursing homes and patients with serious underlying conditions, meaning that's that that's where our resources should be spent. I think it's terribly unethical. Part of the reason why we let the coronavirus fly through the nursing homes is because we're diverting resources across the, across society at large. We have limited resources. We should put them where it's put them where it's killed people. People of all ages, of course, have been shown to be able to catch the coronavirus. And there have been been reported health complications in children that could potentially be linked to the disease. Fauci also warned about assuming that children are largely protected from the effects of the virus. We don't know everything about the virus, especially when it comes to children, Fauci said. We ought to be careful and not cavalier. I agree 100%. 100% agree. I think a lot of the anger aimed at Fauci is misplaced. I think he's just another doctor. He works in the government. He's got his opinions. He gives his opinions. But he's not a doctor. Or I should say he's not an economist. Uh, he's, he's not a specialist. I was going to say he's not a doctor of the economy. He's not someone who specializes in what this means in terms of how people will eat, whether or not their mental health will be affected. And so I think he's giving good advice as it pertains to the virus itself. I defer to him. Now we look at the bigger picture. Now we look at doctors being laid off, unemployed people, depression, suicide, drug abuse, and starvation. And we have to weigh those now against the coronavirus. A smart person would do this. Unfortunately, it seems to be New York. It seems to be California, Michigan, that want to remain closed in various ways. Now, California, I believe, is doing a better job than Michigan and New York. They're slowly starting to reopen. And all, all states now, I believe, are slowly initiating, re, initiating a reopening procedure. But I think the reason the Democratic governors don't want to do it is it comes down to a fear they'll be blamed, but it's also partisanship. And that's about the blame. It's right. I want them to vote for me in the future, so I better just do what they want. That's dangerous. We'll see, how, we'll see if this letter means anything because I don't think Trump can do anything anyway, but I'll leave it there. Stick around. I got one more segment coming up for you in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Ronan Farrow has now been exposed. He put out overt fake news, and he's been called out for it. In this story from the New York Times, Ben Smith, the former editor, uh, editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed News, asked some serious questions, challenges some of the stories that Ronan Farrow put out. And now we have an update. Ben Smith writes, is Ronan Farrow too good to be true? 
And we then saw in response to this criticism, left and right, back and forth. But Matt Lauer, who was accused by a woman of assault, has now spoken up. Here's where things get interesting. Ronan Farrow sparked a wave of Me Too, you know, uh, of me. Uh, he, he gave Me Too its, its grandest moments. He, he was reporting on Harvey Weinstein. He did the reporting on Matt Lauer. It is now confirmed by Mediaite, a left-wing publication, a, very, a, a relatively left-wing publication, that Ronan Farrow, well, he may have, I'll be fair, lied in one circumstance, mis- misled the audience, misled the reader, but also just didn't corroborate any stories. And then he went on to say that he fact, it was all fact-checked and vetted. It wasn't. You see, in Matt Lauer's defense, he actually speaks to some of the people involved in the accusations against him. And as it turns out, some of these accusations were false because he actually got corroborating evidence. He went and met with some of the people who were involved. He says, there are four primary ways in which Ronan betrayed the truth in writing his book. He consistently failed to confirm stories told him by his main sources. He failed to provide evidence of important communications he alleges took place between accusers and me. In most cases, Ronan doesn't even claim to have personally seen evidence of those communications. He used misleading language to manipulate readers into believing things that could easily be false or were at least unprovable. In some cases, he undeniably withheld information from the reader that would call the credibility of sources into question for He routinely presented stories in a way that would suit his activist goals as opposed to any kind of journalistic standards. Ben Smith's critique of Ronan Farrow describes a toxic, corrosive, and still vibrant Trump era pathology, resistance journalism. Journalism's dead. But there is quite possibly the best example of fake news journalism in Matt Lauer's story. And I'm going to show you this. This is one of the most amazing things I have seen because it even confused me. I wonder if, uh, here we go. Check this out. On page 375, Ronan writes, over the course of 2018, I'd learn of seven claims of sexual misconduct raised by women who worked with Lauer. I want you to stop and think about this for a second. This sentence is the perfect, masterful, dare I say, I am impressed with Ronan Farrow's abilities here. You know, look, I, I, I grew up in the hacker community, there's a thing called social engineering. It's, it's the manipulation of people. I worked in nonprofit fundraising. Assumptive language is such a powerful way to motivate people and control people. But this, this is like grand master level manipulation. Let me read you the sentence one more time. Over the course of 2018, I'd learn of seven claims of sexual misconduct raised by women who worked with Lauer. I want you to stop and think about what that means. And now I'm going to explain to you how he tricked you. He left out a few key words that should have been added to the back of that sentence. Let me read it with the appropriate context. Over the course of 2018, I'd learn of seven claims of sexual misconduct raised by women who worked with Lauer against other individuals who were not Matt Lauer. There it is. These women who worked with Matt Lauer over a, what, a 25-year career had made accusations against other men completely unrelated to Lauer at all. When I first read this, I didn't understand what Matt was trying to claim. So what? You're saying more women have come out? How is this in any way? Whoa. He wants you to assume that because the women worked with Lauer, the accusations were against him. Isn't that clever? Absolutely masterful. Apparently, he says he had to actually admit it. Here's, here's what he says. 
This is Ronan at his most manipulative. It is imperative to note that although Ronan truly wants the reader to conclude, he is saying there were seven claims of misconduct against me. He's not. In fact, he has been forced to admit that on other occasions, including in a live television interview on ABC, he is referring to some allegations that have absolutely nothing to do with me. He intentionally writes that there were seven claims of misconduct raised by women who worked with Lauer, not by women against Lauer an attempt to manipulate readers into believing there were seven allegations relating to me. There were not. In addition, when he writes, I'd learn of seven claims. He intentionally doesn't say he spoke to those women. Is he relying on hearsay? Is he referring to secondhand or thirdhand accounts of these claims? Is he relying on gossip? He never says. He continues, most of the women could point to documents or other people they told to back up their accounts. Does Ronan provide a quote of any such, any such document? He does not. This is the perfect example of resistance journalism taken to its logical conclusion. People who have learned that they can just find someone who is hated or someone in power, allege a conspiracy to protect those in power, and it would work. The, the Me Too movement was powerful. People had come up and spoken out against Harvey Weinstein and other individuals. And Ronan Farrow knew he could pounce on this. Interestingly, what Matt Lauer also brings up is that Ronan Farrow had his show canceled from MSNBC. And it's no secret that he was biased against the network. So that when he came after one of NBC's true stars, Matt Lauer, why did no one raise any questions? This is a guy who had a grudge. He was biased. And there you go. There's also some pretty astounding claims made by Ben Smith, store uh, assertions in the original piece targeting Ronan Farrow. I think it's fair to point out, you know, everybody has their version of events, but based on something very, very important and simple, the editor's note from Mediaite, I, I believe Ronan Farrow faked all this, in my opinion. Check this out. Mediaite, which is a left-wing publication, which has every reason to support Ronan Farrow, says this. After Matt Lauer submitted this piece, a response to Ronan Farrow's book, Catch and Kill, Mediaite editors, editors independently fact-checked the accounts of four witnesses and subjects Lauer spoke with and cites in his piece, all confirmed in early February that Lauer's account of their conversations was accurate. As with all Mediaite opinion pieces, the views expressed in this article are, are those of the author. This is terrifying, horrifying precedent. Matt Lauer explains how this, this, this book that Ronan Farrow put out, the Me Too movement, you know, uh, grandstanding book, could have easily been shut down, but nobody wanted to speak out against it. The four people that Matt Lauer spoke with easily confirmed that Ronan Farrow was wrong. Why didn't any of them speak up? Because they knew they would be canceled. They would be targeted, smeared, liars, grifters, people who just want to sell a book. That's what's happening now to Ronan Farrow. It's being argued that the rape uh, accusation against Matt Lauer from Brooke Nevels came at an opportune moment when the book was being published. In fact, he even goes on to mention that Brooke Nevels wanted her name released so that she could then write a tell-all gossip book without being criticized for it. Welcome to the media. Think about this story and this book. Think about all of the other reporting Ronan Farrow has done and what that means. I've, I, don't, I don't know a lot about it. And to be honest, I'm just reading a couple opinion pieces. Ben Smith's investigation ver- verified that Ronan Farrow didn't fact check some things. Now we have Matt Lauer's opinion piece, which was vetted by Mediaite, showing that these witnesses corroborate this, the claims made by Matt Lauer. 
that the stories were not only true, but that Ronan Farrow didn't even fact check them. And now think about everything Ronan Farrow's ever written. I said this the other end of the podcast, but I'm curious. And I don't know enough, enough about, about the law, but I wonder if this would be grounds for Harvey Weinstein to argue for a retrial or some kind of appeal or some kind of, I don't know. I mean, Ronan Farrow is the one who went after uh, Weinstein and, and published a lot of this, this damning information. And now he has grounds to say, look, they've proven it. Mediate confirmed it. He made it up. And this is a lot of what we use, a lot of the basis. Now, I understand a, a court, uh, a, a real trial has hard evidence. They wouldn't necessarily go off gossip. But a lot of these statements are now called into question. A lot of these accusations will be called into question. And without corroborating evidence, I wonder. So again, I'm just speculating. I don't, I don't know, know enough about it. But here's what I want you to do. Think about how famous Ronan Farrow became from this. Think about all of the interviews he's done, the best-selling book, everyone who's bought it. He was a champion, a celebrity journalist. They called him the most important investigative journalist in the country. They said that he had to leave his job because NBC was trying to put the kibosh on his investigation and all these things. It was the perfect narrative. He's just smarter than, than, than the rest of them. Ronan Farrow is one of the best media personalities. He really, really is. I'm not saying that to compliment him. I'm saying he understands how the system works. And that's why I mentioned Glenn Greenwald's you know, story and how Ben Smith brings up what he's doing. This new toxic culture of resistance journalism. These are people who are grifters, who have figured out how to infiltrate media companies. They don't care about the politics. They just want to sell books. And you know what's scary? They've convinced you that we're the grifters. The independent personalities who call this stuff out, who challenge the establishment and the liars and the fake news. We're the grifters, they say. Not true at all. It's just fake. While there are grifters, for sure, on the right, on the left, independent grifters, the reality is the people who have infiltrated media and done things like this have figured out how to monetize and manipulate stupid people. And it works. And one way they protect themselves is making sure all of the stupid people think, believe, know that those trying to expose the liars are in fact the grifters themselves. The independent personalities who challenge this, the members of the intellectual dark web who have calm, rational conversations, they're the grifters. They're just exploiting stupid people and Trump supporters. Nah, man. Nope. Sorry. It's, it's your guy. I'll leave it there. I'll see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. in the next segment. Thanks for hanging out.